These are the facts. The world is in trouble, but we're going to straighten it out. We are going to build the wall, okay? Don't worry. America first. Together, we will make America great again. That's what I do. I fix things. We're going to straighten it out. It's time for this week's edition of Unprecedented in the company of our White House watcher, Adrian Collins. Adrian, welcome to the program. Thanks, George. I'll hand it over to you, as I always do. You tell me, and then I'll sort you out. These, <laughs> this is what we do. We <laughs> sort works. things out. Yeah. This is uh, another very busy week for Donald Trump, but I suppose we'll start because he's off on a, on a foreign trip um, to he went to the Middle East. He's going to he's been to Israel, which is a lot earlier in his uh, presidential uh, stint than a lot of other previous presidents have gone to Israel. So that's a, a big show of support, I suppose. And the he's been see, receiving some quite quite a lot of praise for the way that he's been delivering speeches and what he's been saying while he's abroad on these trips, especially in relation to uh, Islam, because throughout the campaign. He, I mean, he proposed this Muslim ban when he got into office uh, and throughout the campaign, his rhetoric on this front was very, very different to the speech that he gave earlier this week uh, in which he said that um, we all have to, to come together to stand up to the, the threat of terrorism. Yeah. We've got, an audio, we've got an audio. All right, let's have a listen. It's the Trump together. There is still much work to be done. That means honestly confronting the crisis of Islamic extremism and the Islamists and Islamic terror of all kinds. And it means standing together against the murder of innocent Muslims, the oppression of women, the persecution of Jews, and the slaughter of Christians. That's a very stark change from what he was telling for example, CNN during the campaign. One small thing before we, before we go on to the next clip. In that clip, he said Islamic extremism. There's a very small point that that term has been, he used it throughout the campaign and the Republicans have used this constantly, where they have been asked by H.R. McMaster's new national security advisor not to use that anymore because it actually creates a problem, it brands the the entire religion and that actually foments this kind of extremism. But also, throughout the campaign, Trump himself said much more hardline things about his attitude towards Islam. For example, here he is speaking to CNN uh, and he says that there's just a hate that exists within the religion for us. Here's what I want to ask. Why is there such hatred? Why is there such death? Where does this hatred come from? But that when you get the no, answers no, but to those questions, that's when you're going to... I want to at least know where it's coming from. Why is it happening? And it's from a group of people. It's from a specific group of people. Okay? Why is there such total hatred? We have to know the answer. Or we're never going to have a safe country. You said you were all about security. And what, but... uh, wait, should, listen, when my friends call me up, and these are Muslims, and they say, it's something, Donald, that has to be talked about, but they don't support the ban. Not really. I mean, why would they support the ban? But without the ban, you're not going to make the point. You're not going to be able to make the point. So that was 2015. But that wasn't the only time that he said pretty much the exact same thing. Later in another interview with Anderson Cooper, he said the same thing. There's a, there's a hate. Do you think Islam is at war with the West? 
I think Islam hates us. There's something, there's something there that there's a tremendous hatred there. There's a tremendous hatred. We have to get to the bottom of it. There is an unbelievable hatred of us. In, in Islam itself? Uh, you're going to have to figure that out, okay? I guess the, the question is, is there a war between the West and radical Islam, or is there a war between well, the West and Islam it's itself? It's radical, but it's very hard to define. It's very hard to, to separate, because you don't know who's who. But I told you, way back, <clears throat> I said, the White House will have a civilizing influence on Donald Trump. And then we thought it didn't have a civilizing influence on Donald Trump because of his first 100 days. Maybe we are seeing a change and he's beginning to understand what being president is, point one. Point two, he is not John F. Kennedy or Barack Obama standing at a lectern. He's a very bad speaker. And therefore, you're not going to get the rhetoric that you got from Kennedy and Obama, but Kennedy and Obama didn't actually follow up on the rhetoric. Here you have a guy who speaks badly, and what we feel is, what I feel is, he will follow up in whatever way he decides, but he might do something. It's interesting. Now, his other speech in the last week or so was that no president in history has received as hard a time as he is. A witch hunt, he said. Yeah. yeah. Have you quantified the bad chance? Well, I believe there was a bit more of a witch hunt in Salem and Massachusetts uh, <laughs> rather than that. But okay. I mean, I, no, no. There, there is now. There has been an analysis of media reaction to Donald Trump, and since he's become president, ninety-seven percent of media reaction to Donald Trump, newspaper, press, and television, and, and radio and television has been negative, 97%. And the reason for that is clear. One, it, Donald Trump is Donald Trump that we all know, but the other one is that, by and large, the media are liberal organizations staffed, by and large, by liberals who would never vote for Donald Trump. So they not only would they never vote for him, it's not that they're Democrats and he's a Republican, but they are so far on the opposite sides of the spectrum that they are utterly opposed to him without thought. I think you, there's definitely something to that, but also a lot of the negative press has come out of crises that are created by the Trump administration themselves. This is something I wanted to touch on. There's a lot of him sending people out to say this is the official event or this is the official uh, way that we're going to talk about this event. This is the the series of events that happened. And then somebody else comes out a couple of hours later and says, no, actually, this is the way it happened. And then a day or two later, Trump comes out and completely negates everything that's been said. So he's creating his own headlines through poor management within the White House. But before you were born, when Richard Nixon was in the White House, like he had a number of press secretaries who were all over the place, right? You see, we're also used to in the media that Kennedy was a great example of this. Kennedy had a brilliantly orchestrated operation. And whether it was Tip O'Neill in Congress or whether it was his speechwriters, Kennedy had the best speechwriters any president has ever had. And the speechwriters were writing for one of the best speechmakers that ever was in the White House. So that was an irresistible combination. If you look at Obama, over eight years, Obama actually did nothing. 
nothing of substance. Now, they all turn around and say that it created jobs and it reduced deficit and all this sort of thing. The only thing that counts for Obama is that he made a complete horlex of Syria and we are we are suffering for that. He made a complete mess of the Arab Spring. There is no doubt Obama has some guilt in relation to the development of Islam and Islamic terrorists. The issue with Syria is one that Obama himself has said he regrets, that he should have, he some felt regret. he should have acted. It is some, some regret, regret. But he felt that intervening would create more problems. Nobody and drew not a line intervening in the hasn't. sand. He drew a line in the sand and he drew a line in the sand. Yeah. And he didn't act when that happened. An eight-year-old out in Dallymount Beach would drew a similar line in the sand with the same result. <laughs> That's, I suppose, fair enough on poor old Obama. But equally, he did achieve a lot of other things domestically. Like one of the things that happened this week was Jeff Sessions rolled back a couple of Obama-era rules on mandatory minimum sentencing. Mandatory minimum sentencing is... For example, there's a very interesting uh, documentary on Netflix about this called uh, The 13th, I think, where they talk about the effect of essentially sentencing somebody to a mandatory minimum of years when they're carrying a certain amount of drugs. This happened during the war on drugs, happened under Clinton. Even Clinton admits this this type of thing was a mistake. And Obama rolled it down. Essentially, if you were caught with one gram of crack, it was equal to 100 grams of cocaine. So you served the same amount of time in jail. Obama rolled that down to 18 to 1, that ratio, and Sessions has rolled it back. There is no consensus on left or right to say that this is a good idea. The only person who seems to think it's a good idea is Sessions. So these type of things that he has achieved will be unravelled by the Trump administration. Because, unfortunately, as Churchill said, democracy isn't a great system, but it's the best we have. So as long as America has a system where they elect a president and the president is the chief executive, unlike us or Britain or whatever that has a titular head in the shape of the president or the queen or whatever it might be, as long as they have that, they have partisan politics. So the next president comes in and he does something different from the previous one. We mightn't agree with that, but nevertheless, that is always what was going to happen. Now, I thought he'd roll back other things, but he was always going to back issues of Obama because he's he's totally opposed to anything Obama did. But he's, Sessions has been doing this kind of under the radar. The, the thing that I'm concerned about is Donald Trump campaigned on the opioid epidemic and the drug epidemic that was sweeping through the United States. Yeah. Now, 52,000 people in 2015 died of overdoses in the United States. That was more than car crashes and more than gun homicides. It's a lot of people. It's a huge problem. And he campaigned saying, we're going to solve this problem. Sessions' measure here does not solve the problem. It jails people who have a drug problem rather than helping them with their drug issue. So he's, my concern is not necessarily that he's rolling back Obama administration. We always knew that was going to happen, as you said. What he's doing is rolling back on his but own 52, campaign promises. Yeah, 52,000 people who died didn't die because of Donald Trump. They died essentially under an Obama administration. They died under the so-called rules that you think are very good. I don't know. I don't know what's right. All I know is I wouldn't drive you know, with only one headlight in America because I'd quite likely finish up getting 35 years. They have a very crude judicial system. It's very crude. It is. And it's- and that's why the the uh, issue of, Ch- of Chelsea Manning was so extraordinary. They actually believe in keeping people in jail and what Obama did by commuting the sentence was extraordinary to half the population. This isn't about me now. It's about the population of the USA. Half the population of the USA was incensed. 
And he knew he had to do it before Trump came in, because if Trump came in, obviously Trump wouldn't have done it. And that's what partisan politics is all about. And amazingly, Obama is doing more now as a former president than any former president in my lifetime. Obama is more political now than any former president. How so? He interferes. He talks about it. It's not his business. Obama and Michelle should head off into the sunset with John Wayne and just, you know, relax as a former president, become chancellor of a university or something, but stay out of politics. I don't think he can. One, because he was he's retired younger than I suppose he came into the, the position a lot younger and he's retiring younger. And secondly, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, the Democratic Party had a lot of cracks that were papered over by Obama's own personality, his rhetoric, all that type of thing, the whole yes we can thing that brought people into the party. They realised... And in 20- failed to deliver at the ballot box. Well... He delivered the ballot box for his elections, but failed to deliver in 2016. He failed to deliver on governorships and in in, in Congress and in the Senate. But there's a larger there's a larger operation at play there with regards to the Republicans, essentially moving districts around, changing the map, and things like that, so that they have more control over those local government (laughs) elections. Right? No, there's a lot of there's a lot on that. They have they've openly spoken about Operation (laughs) Red Map, which was an, an operation where they. Control the local yeah. government to, to be able to control essentially what the, districts the gas were. thing about you, you know, and it's why I love talking to young people like you, because you think the world only started five years ago. You know that before five years ago, it was just a great black hole in the universe, and then suddenly you young people started it all. Jim Tully means absolutely nothing to you. Right, Jim Tully was a Labour politician in the 1950s. He turned around and he gerrymandered the Irish constituencies in order that he thought, you know, they'd be in power forever. The great Eamon de Valera uh, attempted three times, I think it was, to push through to, to the abolition of PR. And de Valera, who was winning all the elections, he couldn't get that past the Irish people because the Irish people realised what he was up to. He was trying to keep Fianna Fáil in forever. So the idea of gerrymander, you only then have to go north of the border and look how constituencies in Northern Ireland with a Catholic majority delivered a unionist candidate, gerrymandering of constituencies, of votes and so on. This has been going around forever. And stop weeping and whinging about a bit of gerrymandering in America. This is the name of the game, lad, and get used to it. Your perfect world doesn't exist. Unfortunately, no. There are no rainbows and puppy dogs over the ballot boxes, right? No. But I un- I know that gerrymandering has been around for a long time. The point is that this was a big concerted effort by a lot of dark money, as they call it, to <laughs> to push to push these constituencies in such a way that they would have so- a-, a huge majority. Now, the Democrats let it happen equally, right? They didn't fight back. There was money pouring into districts where they felt that they could win or that they wouldn't need to fight, and they lost a lot of these districts. Now... They are behind the eight ball because this has been the Democratic done. Party is a mess. It's yes. a mess because it's it is run by people like you. It is run <laughs> by it's run by very nice guys 
but the innocents abroad and and they're all on they're like and it's increasingly happening if you want a pothole fixed in Dublin 9 it's unlikely that Dublin City Council will fix it but they'll be hugely exercised at flying the Palestinian flag over the city hall or given the freedom in the city of Chelsea Manning what has happened is politics has become just a liberal playing field where all you liberals are out to play with lollipops and rubber balls. But you can't do the hard yards of politics. And that's why liberals are being beaten up around the globe. Because the bad guys, and and I mean, if I were in America, I'd be putting down my number one for a Democrat. But that doesn't work anymore. The bad guys are in charge because the bad guys want to have power. And they're willing to play dirty. Correct. I think uh, this was something I want. I, I want to talk about. I agree with you in, in a way. The Democrats are too concerned with doing things the right way, and these are the norms, and this is the way it happens. Whereas the Republicans, the House Freedom Caucus, all these people have moved against all of the norms. Trump himself has broken almost every single norm that we've ever seen. They say don't wrestle with a pig because both of you get covered in you know yeah. whatever. It's too late. The pig has them in a headlock, and they need to do something now. And I think they will need to push back, threaten not threaten all these government shutdowns that the Republicans did under Obama. They have to start fighting dirty if they want to get anything done. Well, I got a letter this week from a listener who said, you know, Bernie Sanders is the most popular politician in America. Bernie Sanders couldn't win the Democratic nomination. So it's no point to be popular. You have to actually get elected. And then she also said, and Elizabeth Warren, another fabulous person, great person. Will Elizabeth Warren win a presidential election? No. In a pig's eye. So the point is they are putting forward people who can't get elected. But what's It's like Jeremy Corbyn. Probably if we sat down with Jeremy, you and I, over a cup of coffee, we'd actually probably find we, we have quite a reasonable amount of stuff in common with you. Mm. Right? Like looking after the poor, the sick, the homeless, all that sort of good stuff. And then he makes a complete horlicks of it by having a Marxist, as is possible, uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer, by standing next to Jerry Adams and toasting bombers or whatever. And will he get elected? No, he won't get elected. So all the people who want Corbyn in charge of the Labour Party, for all sorts of good reasons, he won't get elected. And I think the only way that liberals in America will be able to move forward and be able to get some wins will be because Trump does some things that they are able to organize around. He threatens their principles. So the budget that they have out that they had out on Tuesday <clears throat> threatens huge cuts to Medicare, Medicaid, to Social Security, to insurance for sick children. All of these things that you just would if you wanted to get a group of people, a group of people annoyed enough to go out knocking on doors and calling people, they're doing all of that in their budget. And, but the Democrats won't get elected. The Democrats might not get the presidency, because they're all, but they will push, they will push, let's see uh, what happens in 2018. Let's uh, see what happens in the House in 2018. All the while, you're not seriously talking to me about being around in 2018, <laughs> are you? I thought this was going to be a four-year thing, George. <laughs> I signed a contract. All right, unprecedented with our White House watcher and uh, nerdy liberal, Adrian Collins. You can find us on iTunes. 